I'm excited for what the Lord's leading us to this morning. I'm also very excited about what he led us to last week. If you haven't had the opportunity yet to listen to the sermon on Philippians 2, 5 through 12, it is the most powerful message, not because I came up with it, but because it's the story of the gospel of Jesus, what he did for us, God's Son coming down to seek and to save, to serve, to give up everything for our advantage. And I, I love what Jesus has done for us, and I also want you to be mindful of that context as we jump into this morning's message, a message that I've titled, Flex Your Faith, because it's a great phrase that links both physical and spiritual health. Did you know studies show there is a clear link between mental health, happiness, and physical fitness? That's right. Physical fitness just doesn't cause you to stress and, and work your body up and, and, oh man, this is like, I'm killing myself here. It actually leads to a healthier, happier lifestyle. If you don't currently have an exercise regimen, no matter what your fitness level, I'd encourage you, even if it's just getting outside and exercising for as little as 10 minutes, I say 10 minutes a day, a walk outside, getting some fresh air gives you strength, gives you health. Now, why is that important? In a similar way, you can draw a direct line from genuine joy in the life of a believer and on how they walk with Jesus and obey his word. There is a clear linkage there. Flex your faith. Paul tells us in this morning's passage, Philippians 2, 12 through 18, that the true path to joy is following Jesus's path to obedience. And when we work out our faith, we gain joy. That's the main point. When we work out our faith, we gain joy. So if you're ready, dig in with me. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. First, I just got to say, Paul puts on a clinic here for how to talk to people about difficult subjects. Did you catch that? He's, he's speaking like a fitness trainer. Work out your salvation. You know, rejoice. Get after it. Let your light shine. Stop complaining. I mean, it's just like a fitness instructor or gym, gym instructor telling you, get your act together. Work along. But first, he doesn't start with the sharp commands. I mean, this whole time he's been building up to it. We're almost halfway through the letter when we get to these kind of commands. But also, in verse 12, my beloved... I have a relationship with you all. I hold you dear in my heart. I love you. And you know that I love you because I've gone through some stuff with you. 
I'm, I've been here for you. I care for you. I'm, I'm only telling you what you need to hear. And it's a good reminder for us that when we speak to people about difficult things, there's got to be a relationship for a foundation. There's got to be some trust there. Because even when there is trust, people don't always receive what we're saying, speaking the truth in love. But if you don't have trust built up and you just lash out at somebody on social media or face-to-face, -face, how well is that going to go? Maybe you feel better about lashing out, but they will not. So speaking about difficult subjects, make sure there's a, a relationship, a, a build there. And then he also encourages them. Hey, I know you did this in the past. I'm praising what you did well. In the past, you guys obeyed Christ so eagerly. You were in the word. You were walking in the faith. That's awesome. Keep it up. And now I want to push you to go a little bit further. So here's how he pushes us. And it's also three reasons as to how we get that joy. How do we work out that faith? How do we get that joy? First of all, remember your why. What's your motivation for doing what you do? That's verses 12 to 13. The motivation is, hey, it's not me. I shouldn't be your motivation. It's not your pastor. It's not the Apostle Paul. Not only in my presence. Okay, we'll obey while the, while the shepherd's around. When the shepherd leaves, our motivation goes with him. No, 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 no. Our motivation is so much higher, more beautiful and noble than that. And the key word is therefore, which I've told you all before. you got to see therefore and ask, why is it therefore? Going back to verses 5 through 12 last week. You see what Jesus did? If you have a hard copy of scripture in front of you, you can, you can look at it right now because it's so important. This is the foundation. This is our why. Because the Son of God had the mindset that he was going to save God's people no matter the cost. He totally emptied himself of every advantage and right and privilege and his presence in the throne room surrounded by adoring angels to take on the humble form of a servant, to allow himself to be crucified on a humiliating Roman cross, executed like a common criminal. He gave up everything for us. And then the Father raised him up and exalted him and gave him a name above every name. <laughs> So the mindset of our Savior, a servant, is our motivation. It's our awe of Christ that, that I want to flex my spiritual muscles. They're super weak, and nothing compared to Paul, certainly nothing compared to Jesus, but I want to work out. I want to work at this because Jesus is my prize. He's my treasure. So like you're working out in the gym, you've got that motivational po poster on the wall. You can do this. You're tough. You know, remember that goal of, of the weight you want to lose. Everyone's got their why, but the Christian, our why is always going to come back to Jesus. Our life began with Jesus, our life continues in Jesus, and in the future, he's our prize as well. So work out your salvation. That means to bring it about. That does not mean we work for our salvation. You can't be saved by good works. That's not what Paul's saying. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and other Paul's writings, makes it clear that salvation is a free gift from God and can only be received by faith. It's not received by good works. So working out your salvation is talking about the work that God's done inwardly inside of us, and now we show it outwardly as we walk in obedience to Christ. That's, that's what it means to be a Christ follower. The late Eugene Peterson says uh, about the fear and the trembling Okay, what, what is this fear and trembling? Am I supposed to like, 
shake around on my knees all day as I follow Christ? No. He says it's a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. I don't just one day live for Christ and then take a month off. Right? We're striving to work it out day after day. Now, that will contradict what a lot of so-called Christians say about what makes a Christian today. A lot of people say, well, it's just a matter of the heart. Those actions don't matter. Okay? That, that, I mean, that's nice, but it, it all comes down to the faith and only the faith. It's true. You are saved by grace through faith. But I don't define a Christian how the world defines it. Your spiritual walk is something personal you just keep inside. We have to find out how Jesus defines it. And Jesus says, a follower of mine is someone who picks up his cross, dies to himself daily, and follows me. When he gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says a disciple is someone who helps other people to learn to observe all that Jesus has commanded. All that Jesus has commanded. That's not daunting at all, right? Again, we need God's grace for this. But a lot of people think what that says is, um, teach them all that I have commanded. Just learn stuff about Jesus. It's not what he says. Teach them to observe, to keep, to guard my word, to live it out. Our actions show what's happened on the inside. Jesus is my Savior. He obeyed the Father to the cross. That's his path of obedience. So daily, we pick up our crosses. We die to ourselves, and we live to God. We cling to his word. He is our why. For it is God who works in you. Did you catch that? Everything that God does in my life is a gift of grace. Salvation is a gift of grace, but so is our process of growing. I don't make my own strength with my spiritual muscles, so to speak. I obey, and I watch God build me up in maturity. I trust that his way is the most gracious way, is the most blessed way. It's only possible because God is the one working. It's the only way it works. 1 John 4, 19 tells us we only love because he first loved us. Philippians 1, 6, we've already studied that, but let's go back and revisit that says that he who began a good work in you. Who began it? Not me. God began it. The one who began it will see it through to the day of completion. Our whole journey is covered in God's grace. We work it out, not to earn our salvation, but because of God's grace on us. He even changes the heart of his enemies. He changes the will. Because I used to not want Jesus. I was born not wanting Jesus. I wanted pleasure. I wanted to do my thing. I was proud. You might say, oh, well, Josh, you were just, you were just a kid. What's the big deal? You came to faith in Christ at the age of six. What's the big deal? Okay, every, you know, every kid's a little bit selfish. It's a big deal. Because I'm never going to just change my will one day and say, oh, yeah. There's a guy on a throne up in heaven, and he tells me what to do, and I just do it? Yeah, that sounds great. Because God opened up my heart to see the love that he had for me and the great need I had for a Savior. So now I want to give him my heart. I want to follow him day by day because of what he's done. And he places his spirit inside believers. 
So now our desires line up with his. There's still this going on. That's why we've got to work it out. Say no to the flesh. Say yes to the voice of the spirit. He doesn't just change the will, though. He also gives us the desire to work and to work hard for Jesus. We love him. We're in awe of him. He sees everything that we do. So whatever we do, we want to do it to his glory. I don't do it for myself. I don't do it, well, is my boss watching or not? Or if you are your own boss, you know the unique challenge of no one's checking in on your work. It's up to you to grind this out. And what a grind that can be. But if you remember your why, it helps us in those moments of exhaustion. It's for Jesus. I do this for Jesus. Whether the client's happy or not, I'm going to do my best. But at the end of the day, Jesus will be happy if I gave it my best. And in an area where there's about 700,000 people who identify as not believers, that means if they don't hear the gospel, if they don't believe and turn from their sins and repent, they will spend eternity in the lake of fire. The world is working hard to teach people to live for themselves. Satan is working hard to keep us blind, keep the world blind from seeing the beauty of Jesus. Is this the time for Christians to sit back and say, huh? Let go and let God. Woo! No. Now is the time to take a stand and to say, I believe in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Follow him. We work hard for him. After all, he's done for us. Yesterday, the, the, um, the baseball league that Titus is a part of had opening day. So a lot of music. Uh, the lineups were called. All the teams are there. There's bouncy houses and food trucks. It's a whole big thing. It was really really fun affair that we, we got to enjoy together. I'm a head coach, so pray for that team. If you, if you think of it, they would appreciate it. And I appreciate that the DJ was there, but there was one song that he played, and the song that he played was Hell's Bells. And it's a great workout song. I got to admit, I used to love that song, especially as a Milwaukee Brewers fan, when Trevor Hoffman, the legendary closer, would come out in the ninth inning and they would jack that song up through the speakers. The whole stadium would be shaking and erupting because if Trevor Hoffman comes to the mound, the game's as good as one. It was an electric atmosphere. And I love that song because it meant we're going to close this game. But as I heard it yesterday, it hit me differently. Because I'm, I'm coaching these little kids. Really sweet kids. And you look out the stands and you see their parents and their grandparents. You see scores of people. And he's saying, I'll, you know, take you to hell. No. I don't want a single one of them to go to hell. What's it going to take so that every single person in our community can hear the good news of Jesus Christ? But you know one thing, it's going to take some work. But if God's grace covers us, he's going to give us everything we need. We're not thinking about ourselves. God's work is too big for that. So let's move forward. Let's flex our faith. Let's remember our why. So just like if you're working out, you have a personal development plan. You know, you're tracking those calories. You're tracking what reps you're doing. You know, how many miles are you going to run this week? You have goals, okay? We should have spiritual goals as well. I wish I could say, if you just sit here for an hour on Sunday morning, you will get spiritually buff. I'm sorry. <laughs> What I can do is give you the blueprint and encourage you to take it and walk it out this week. 
That's where maturity comes in. You flex your own faith. That's what Paul says. Work out your salvation. Not my salvation. I'm working out mine. You work out yours. So maybe it's a plan for Bible reading. If Jesus is your daily motivation, then we should be motivated daily to seek his face. What's your plan for that? What about prayer time? The first thing on our schedule that just, oh, something came up. I got a call. And we don't actually set the time aside to seek his face, to spend time with him. And that's where he changes us the most. Because I'm not doing anything. I'm depending on him. And then the rest of the day, I'm walking in that strength. What about fasting? When we reset our desires and our mind and body to think about God's will, not my own. Do you have a time during the week that you set aside and fast? I want to encourage you. If this is a year we want to pray in everything, fasting will cause us to do that. And last thing I'll say is accountability. Where are you growing in community? Paul could be a coach to these people because he had a relationship with them. Who's coaching you? We all need somebody more spiritually mature than us to pour into us, to encourage us. Give us a, a kick from behind when we need it from time to time. We all need it. Remember your why. Secondly, stop complaining. I love it. It kind of just you know, pops up right in the middle of this passage. The second point that Paul makes is stop complaining. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Okay, Paul. So what's going on here? Well, here's the thing. He can, he can speak boldly like that because he's not treating us as servants or slaves at this moment. Now, he could call us, the Lord is your master. You're slaves. You should, just, you should just obey him. He's your master. That's not the motivation he gives us. He calls us as children of God. Verse 15. Did you see that? As children of God. You matter to God. You are loved. That is your identity. You are known. And every detail of your life matters to God. Everything we say, do, or plan is an opportunity to bring glory to our king. So that's why, even when we are talking in our everyday conversation, we want to do all things for his glory. So no grumbling. Grumbling can take that joy. Shouldn't. But it does. Because what grumbling is, it's, that word is an amana, anamana, oh man, I practice this too. Anamanapia. Yes. Thank you. That. <laughs> I practice it. What in the world? Okay, so grumble. Grumble. Right? Even in the Greek, it's, 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 the, it's that same kind of word. There's that low tone of voice behind the scenes talk. You know, whatever's going on, I'm kind of gritting my teeth and I'm talking under my breath because I don't like what's going on. But I don't have to tell you what grumbling is. Humans are master grumblers. We can be discontent about anything. And are we? Absolutely, we are. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Now, that's not saying we shouldn't acknowledge when things are difficult. I had a stressful week. I'm exhausted. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. I worked a long shift yesterday. That's not grumbling. You're acknowledging circumstances. But if you take that one step further, yeah, but my boss. Let me tell you about my boss. Yeah, we, we know about that. It's like, okay. All right. So now it's we're saying something that we wouldn't say to them, but we slip into that way of thinking all the time. I do too. Because it's a language we knew before we knew Jesus. 
Now we know a different language. Now we don't need to grumble because we have learned how to be thankful because of what God's given us. Be thankful in all things. Even yesterday at the ball field, um, I gotta gotta give give a shout out to my wife. Uh, it was an awesome thing. It was a hard day. It was hot. We were sweating, and here she is holding holding Mercy because Mercy doesn't like all the noise. So our our three year old daughter, she's not a little baby anymore. She's heavy, so trying to corral her, and she's got the baby with the bottle. And then Judah, she's got to keep an eye on Judah in the crowd. And she had a she had a coach come along and say to her. You know, everybody's out here complaining about the heat. You have more reason to complain than anybody, but I just see you having a positive attitude. You know, like he noticed, just this mom off to the side, she's not complaining. She could have. Did I complain about the weather yesterday? I might have. So let's all take a lesson from someone who's just standing off to the side. Doesn't have to be the person with a microphone, but just choosing to have a positive outlook on things. What does that do for the dynamic of the whole group? What does that do for the church, for the community? To not grumble, because that shows that we don't actually trust God with the circumstances of our life. It's insinuating that I deserve better. And then take that a step further, Paul says you also shouldn't dispute, which means now we're exchanging conflicting ideas. We're arguing like a logical argument for the sake of arguing. Like we're not trying to clarify things. We're not trying to ask forgiveness. We're not trying to be peacemakers. We argue just to argue. Do you know anybody like that? If they're in here, don't point to them. Okay? But we all know somebody like that. And maybe at some point in my life, I have been like that. Why are you just to argue? It's not pleasant. Do you know that happens in churches? There are churches, they argue just to argue. Argue about preferences. Argue about what, what music is, is led on Sunday morning. Arguing about the pastor's teaching style. Arguing about how the children's ministry you know, is run. It's being run poorly. Let me tell you my opinion. Of, but instead of going to that person and saying, hey, I see that you're struggling in this area. Can I help you? Can I pray for you? And you know, we talk to other people about it. Causing dissension. Disputing. Putting our opinion out there. Why do we do that? Because we live in a crooked and twisted generation. The world is trying to conform us to their image. And our old flesh, before we knew Christ, is too eager to follow along and do that. So, are we being an influence on the world, or is the world influencing us? Paul says, for children of God, shine brightly, without blame, speak innocent, Shine as lights in the world. Don't cast God in a negative light. That's what our grumbling does. He's not really in control. He's not really sovereign. And that kind of that, that's a trend today. If you look up Christianity today, a lot of news organizations, even if they have the, the, the Christian title in them, hey, I recognize we need to do serious reporting on some of the toxic toxic stuff going on at churches. I mean sex sex abuse. Rapes, abuse of power by, by staff. I'm not saying we, we cover that stuff up. But if you compare the number of articles negatively, or casting the church in a negative light, versus the number of articles reporting on the good things that God is doing through his church, what does the world see? Pathetic. I don't want anything to do with that. 
God's in control, really. God's in control of that. But you and I are walking newspapers. Might be the only impact someone has about the, the Lord and the church and other believers. So do we keep our speech honoring to the Lord, point people to him? We can do that. We should do that. We should shine brightly. And in case you think grumbling is not that big a deal, I mean, there's other sins that are worse than that, I would point you to Numbers chapter 20, where the children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness, not really wandering, the Lord's leading them, <laughs> and, and here they are at a place called Meribah. There's no water in Meribah. The Lord knows that. But now the Israelites want the Lord to know that, but they grumble and they complain and they threaten to, to do some things to Moses and Aaron. They're angry. At, this is like the hundred millionth time, no exaggeration, that they have complained and grumbled to God. And Moses and Aaron are frustrated. So they pray, they seek the Lord's face, but they're still frustrated inside. And God says, I want you to speak to the rock, this big rock, and I'm going to make water come out of it. I would love to see that miracle. That is amazing. Just speak to the rock. But Moses and Aaron are frustrated. They want to grumble back to the people. You rebellious people. They even name call. You rebellious people. Moses takes his staff and he hits the rock hard. One time. Nothing happens. Because what did God tell him to do? Speak. He hits it again. This time, God brings the water. But there's consequences for Moses' actions. Because instead of lifting God up as holy and pure and good for the people, he made it about himself and his frustration. He grumbled back. And there's consequences for that, especially in leadership. He was not able to go into the promised land. And this scene becomes a story that is retold several times throughout Scripture. Don't be like the people who complained at Meribah. You'll see it multiple times. In the Old Testament, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, in the Psalms, in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it's mentioned. God strongly dislikes grumbling. He hates it. And by the power of the Spirit, we can choose to put on a new way of talking and living thankfully. So, one point of application, we'll move on. Do you know that one person who likes to grumble this week? Here's what we need to do. Here's our action plan. We are going to choose in every conversation or interaction you have with them. Look at you. Let's, let's just say it's someone else. A constant complainer and grumbler. In every interaction, you don't join in the grumbling. Just don't do it. See what happens. See, see if their conversation just inevitably dies out. Or you introduce a new way of talking. You change the dynamic of that conversation. There. Or you just say, you know what? This gossip has, I can't can't be a part of it. I just don't think this is healthy. I don't think this is good. Some might judge you, but I think some other people will appreciate, hey, not everyone wants to be negative. Not everyone wants to grumble. I respect that. By doing that, we respect our Father. Thirdly and finally, Paul tells us, you want to increase your joy? Flex your faith by living for others. That's verses 16 to 18. Live for others. So hold fast to the word of life. Is what he says. So we're clinging to the word of life. Why? Because when we cling to God's word and we make obeying his word a manner of our life, 
we are holding up an example that others will see. Now, wait a minute. I thought Paul said we're not supposed to live for others. That's what he just said. In verse 12, you know, we're not supposed to do it for him. That's right. You don't, your people are not your motivation. People are not your why. But we do need to keep in mind that other people are discipled towards God or away from God by our example. Isn't it so much better to live our lives in a way that others can know him and grow in him and love him? We want to keep the faith because our obedience can bring joy to others. Think about the moment that you came to faith in Jesus. Did someone else have an impact on you coming to faith in Jesus? Raise your hand. Someone influenced you towards Jesus, shared the gospel with you, shared a passage of scripture or a Bible. All of us came to faith because someone was faithful to share the gospel with us. That's how discipleship works. So Paul planted this church at Philippi, and he's encouraging them to pursue Christ because he shared the gospel. God worked. Now there's a church. And now he's saying, it's time for you to take the baton and keep running with it. Because remembering, when you're obedient to Christ, that brings in the joy of all peoples. The joy of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Because one day, we'll reach the finish line. <coughs> he uses the term, day of Christ. It's a specific term referring to the judgment day for believers. Did you know that followers of Jesus will have a judgment day? Not to determine if we go to the lake of fire or heaven. That's been settled by Jesus. Thank God. But believers do get judged by whether we lived as obedient servants. What did we do with the gifts and abilities that God gave us? What did we do with the time that he gave us? If he's Lord over time, then he expects a return on investment. And there will be blessings and rewards and joy in heaven because of the decisions that we make today. It's hard to think that way. I can't see heaven today. I can't see the throne of God. I can't see the rewards. That's what I need to remember. We live for others. What is the greatest reward that we'll get in heaven? People. Because people are the most valuable resource. It's not just a bunch of crowns. It's not, oh, I can fly in heaven or I have all these amazing supernatural abilities. That's great. Whatever God wants to give us, trust me, we're going to have a blast in heaven. It's going to be great. But won't it be equally great when you get to heaven and someone comes up to you and they say, remember me? When you guys did the outreach at the beach and you asked to pray for me and you, you shared that free Bible with me and told me you'd be praying for me. Well, I went home and I read that Bible. And something came up. I was never able to reconnect with your church, but I'm here in heaven today because God opened my eyes to the truth. He used, he used you to help me follow Jesus. So I just want to say thank you. And then another person comes up. And then another. And then another. Now you understand why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, you believers, you're our joy. You're our prize. We don't live for you, but we want to see you have your joy made full in Jesus. That gives us joy. Obedience leads to joy. There's no way to get around it. But what I love about Paul is he doesn't hoard the spiritual blessings for himself. He runs his race so others can win the prize as well. 
And when he says, don't let me run in vain, he's showing them, I'm not running just for myself. You're on my heart. I want you to know what I know. And yes, he's a pastor. This is how pastors think. We think about the flock. But if you look back, verses 5 through 12, he says, every believer needs to have this mindset of Christ. It's not just for pastors. Oh, yeah, pastors are supposed to care, make sure the flock is following Jesus. This is everybody's job. Your job, too. We care that the joy of others will be made full. So we pray for others. We love others. We lose sleep over others. We care for others. We open up our home to others. Because if you give them an hour of your time today, you might be giving them eternity. Is that a worthwhile exchange? One hour here, 15 minutes here, or a series of evenings where you're giving them eternal life through Jesus Christ. So, my question to you as we process this is, how would you run differently if you knew that one day someone would come up to you and tell you that? What needs to change about today? in your faith flexing, in your workouts, so that we're bringing people alongside. So that we're investing in others. That's what Paul means in verse 17 when he says, I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial offering of your faith. Wow, that's a lot of big words and loaded terminology. The long and short of it is, in those sacrificial ceremonies in the Old Testament, and even in the Greek culture, right, because there's false gods that they worship, it's just a common expression. The drink offering, something you pour out in your, in your worship. Of course, the false gods can't receive that worship because they're not there. But God can. So what he's saying here is, I am pouring out my life daily like a drink offering. That's where the term comes from, to pour into you. Or I guess maybe that's not where the term comes from, but that's how we need to think about pouring into others. Someone's cup is full because someone else chose to pour into them. They were channels of God's grace. Don't be like a dead-end street. I soak in, I take in, but I don't live out for the benefit of someone else. Paul says, I pour out so that your faith, it's like the sacrificial altar, you receive it. Strengthens you, and it brings joy to me. Yes, there's an immediate cost. Time costs something. Money costs something. Commitment costs something. And yet, we know, in due time, God will bring about the fruit. You pour into others, God will bring the fruit. Now, I'll leave it to you to think about one way that you can invest in others outside of your family circle this week. Hopefully you're already investing in your family all week long. But to invest in someone else for the sake of the gospel. To think about going somewhere or meeting with someone for the purpose of pouring into them. Remember, Jesus has to be your motivation. It's him working through us. I can't share what I don't have. The joy and the devotion and my eyes fixed on Jesus. But to meet with someone to pour into them. We've got a small group from our church on Tuesday. We're traveling to Orlando to learn about how we can better evangelize and impact the next generation. It's a conference put on by Florida Baptist. And there's a couple of us that are eager to go and to learn about that. And I commend that. To sacrifice a whole day. To get up at 5 a.m. To drive over to Orlando. Not for our own benefit. But for the benefit of somebody else. So that's, 
not where God's called you this week. Where is he calling you to invest in others? Friends, this is why we're here. Our church does not exist for ourselves. We exist for the glory of God and for the good of others. And we're in this for your joy. I pray that this message has added a fuller sense of joy in your life as you think on Jesus. And as we work out our faith together, and as we run this race, may we run it with more and more joy. Let me pray.